welcome to the Bronovo Podcast, the podcast that models healthy communication for men, empowering them to start the journey of self-work. Now here's your host, Thomas Pierce. All right, and we are recording. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the Bro Nouveau Podcast. My guest this week is James Jimmy Marshall, someone who's experienced a level of elite professional sport that most of us egg chasers could only dream of. Through a more than 10-year professional career as a rugby player in New Zealand, James amassed nearly 200 professional appearances for some of the most famous clubs in New Zealand, including Tasman and Taranaki. In that time, he earned more than 50 caps for the Hurricanes in the top flight of professional rugby in New Zealand and was a part of the Super Rugby winning side in 2016. Beyond that, he's also played in top leagues in England and Japan and is now a coach at the Mighty Crusaders of Canterbury, the most successful club rugby team in the world, where he helped to bring home a sixth consecutive Super Rugby title this year. Off the field, James is the creator and host of the What a Lad podcast, an interview show that hands the mic to many all-time greats of New Zealand Rugby Union and Rugby League, as well as other sporting stars from around the world. He's put out more than 200 episodes of What a Lad, where he gives these athletes a platform to express themselves, be authentic, and discuss, discuss more than the normal X's and O's that many sports interviews repeat. Welcome to the Bronovo podcast to a top rugby man and the ultimate lad, James Marshall. Mate, wow, that was an intro. <laughs> One of the all-time great intros. I've been on a few podcasts before, but I don't think I've ever had an intro quite like that, so I um, appreciate that. It always sounds good when... It's all um, put down like that. It makes you realize how much you've sort of you've done in your life. Yeah, amazing. Well, you you pump up everybody on your podcast <laughs> and always do an awesome intro, so you deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. So, for those who are not familiar with, or may not be familiar with, what a lad, what is it, and what inspired you to to get it going? Yeah, so I just, when I was coming to the end of my career, I had hip surgery and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I know coaching was one passion I had, but um, I also was loving my podcast at the time. I remember listening to heaps and we just hit COVID and um, was just sort of thinking of another way of something that I could potentially do post um, rugby. And um, I was always had this thought of guys um, obviously knowing a lot of them in the changing rooms and knowing what they're actually like and then hearing them on the media and you just I was just always cringed that that wasn't really them and I'd love to um, be able to share what some of these guys were actually really like um, some of their personalities get a little bit more out of them and um, you know you'd see guys on the field who you know they carry on in a certain way and you might not like them but once you got to know these people um, everyone had cool stories or were really good lads um, off the field. So that was sort of the way I wanted to take it and just sort of give people an insight into what these guys were really like and only sort of set up a goal of seven episodes, see what it, where I'd get to, whether I liked it or not. And then, yeah, like you say, like over 200 now and still loving everyone and, um, yeah, enjoy connecting with people and being able to share their stories. That's amazing. It's it's a lot of work to get to that many episodes. Yeah, and it is. It's more than people give it, or they oh, more ridiculous. than people think, isn't it? Like, um, yeah, I realised that pretty early on, trying to commit to two episodes a week, and I was like, oh wow, this is a a lot of work. Thankfully, I didn't have a lot going on at the time. I was just recovering from um, hip surgery, but even throughout my time, I've always tried to be really consistent with um, release release dates so like once a week at the moment and or twice a week with the rugby world cup on but um even in season i was trying to do once every two weeks um while i'm coaching so um yeah i've always just tried to be really consistent i know that can put unnecessary pressure on me sometimes to get a deadline but i just find that's been probably the key to um, being able to grow it because people know when it's coming out they look forward to their monday morning or whatever it is and um hopefully tune into a episode for sure do you ever do you ever feel like it's forced or do you genuinely genuinely really enjoy the process still 
I still really enjoy the process. I even I, I'm a one man team pretty much. Um, do all my editing, and I I even enjoy all that. So I know a lot of people nice. don't, but um, yeah, I, I enjoy going through the conversation and re-listening to it, and um, taking out bits if that's what they want taken out, or um, making sure that they've got full trust and that I'm not just looking for clicks or um, just trying to I'm trying to expose them. I'm genuinely here to just give them an open platform where they can share who they really are and if they say something that they um, regret or is going to put someone under um, scrutiny that they don't want, then I'll happily take that out. So um, I think that trust is a real important way for them to be able to open up and just say what's on their mind. And, um, yeah, in some of the conversations I get way more out of them than I expect and then – um, expect them to want to take them out, but some guys are happy to just be able to leave it as it is and just share um, as yeah. openly and honestly as they do. So uh, I think that's a really impart- important part of it. It's huge. I mean, as you may know, the theme or the consistent thread of, of my podcast is healthy communication for men. Mm. And so I would imagine in that level of athleticism with a very – kind of macho sport like rugby there's it's it's probably not normal to be able to say hey i'm struggling or hey this was a shitty day and i'm not okay you know mm. definitely you know, and I, everyone I, has I, that i think that's got better over the last sort of five years um i think it is getting better there's still a long way to go but i know earlier on in my career if you said you were struggling mentally um Guys would have looked at you like you were the biggest pussy ever, and, um, <laughs> and you would have had no chance of surviving. So, um, I think now people are a lot more aware of the situation, and especially around the mental health. So, um, it is getting there, but like, like I said, I still think there's a wee way to go. Mm-hmm. And was it one of those things where, as you got more consistent and kind of more popularity people who were resistant at first like the good interviews were not good but you know what i mean people who were resistant were like all right fine i'll do it um i've always been pretty lucky with guys being willing to come on i haven't been turned down um too many times which has always been nice some guys aren't ready to share their story and that's um that's fine i don't want really people on who aren't willing to share or don't want to be on and share their story so um, I just think there's so many players or athletes out there with such good stories. Like, it doesn't really matter what your journey is. It's always interesting to compare and um, hear it from the start to the finish and some of the highs and lows of, of that journey. There's always something that comes up. No one's got a really smooth career where nothing goes wrong or they have no setbacks. So, um, And those vary. Some might just be a non-selection. Some might be um, being paralysed from the neck. Um, so I've had all sorts of guys on and I think everyone's story is unique so uh, there's definitely no shortage of guests on, on my list to still come on people always say like you must be running out of guests but I, I feel like my guest list just keeps on growing there's so many players past, present, overseas um, and, yeah, internationally and then other sports as well or anything so um, I feel like there's an unlimited um, guest list out there so uh, I, I don't try and push someone if they don't want to come on too hard. They'll, they'll let me, I'll, I'll get a vibe pretty early and then won't go there. But um, the odd guy uh, will message me back a couple of years later and say, hey, I'm, I'm, I feel ready now to share my story. And um, that's always wow. cool because, you know, they're ready to share. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, <clears throat> how, do, how does it work these days? You know, because I went through the process of getting a job with a podcast. It's kind of a new thing uh, today, right? Like having a public or somewhat persona, you're or, or out there giving opinions, if you will, or having a public persona on the internet. So, how was it with uh, the Crusaders when you were? Was they, did they mention it at all? Did they put any parameters on it, or were they, were they saying, you know, this is an awesome part of what you do? Yeah, they actually weren't too bad about it. I remember seeing in the contract that I wasn't allowed to sort of do something like that, but um, I mentioned it and they said there would be no issues because, um, yeah, I, I think it's 
awesome for my coaching, to be honest. Like I get to connect and learn from at least one player every week who um, gets to tell me areas that they struggled, they wish they did better, they um, they learnt from, and I feel like I'm learning stuff constantly as a coach. Well, not just um, on like with my coaching work as such, but like the emotional intelligence, being able to pick up. And when guys might be struggling or why their form might be struggling at a time. So I feel like I'm learning heaps as a coach from just having these conversations. So, um, yeah, I think it's in the Crusaders' um, favour for me to keep having these conversations because <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're getting, in my opinion, a better coach from it. I love it. You're a natural salesman. Dude. That was an excellent, excellent answer. <laughs> And, and when it comes to those communication skills of being able to, you know, I, I have a buddy, Francisco, who always uh, says uncorking someone, you know, getting them to <laughs> to share. Did you always have that skill set or is that something you had to develop, you know, as an adult? Um, yeah, I'm not sure, to be honest. Like, I've never really thought about it. I just, um, yeah, I feel like guys are probably more open when, when I am sitting down with them. I don't. I wouldn't generally just be able to have this conversation with someone, like a podcast conversation, without the mic. To be honest, like I feel like guys are so distracted on phones, or it's very hard to actually get a genuine, deep conversation with someone without sitting down and having a podcast with them. Um, I don't know why that is, but like I say, might I think phones are a big part of it. Guys, um, yeah. so distracted so easily now. Um, if I go, if you go to a cafe and have a coffee you'll often see guys um, checking the phone or glancing across or scrolling for bits and um, when you put them in front of you with a podcast and a mic um, obviously they're locked and loaded into that conversation and um, you, you give them your full attention they give you uh, then they give their full attention as well so mm-hmm. um, I always feel like they're the best conversations to have is on the podcast Um so yeah, that's why I love having them. Nice. I know. I know. For me, I feel like my it was my mom, and my sister. I had strong, a strong feminine influence. I would say that obviously taught me how to converse and how to yeah, just be expressive and not feel any type of um, I don't know, like uh, awkwardness about that. I guess because mm-hmm. you know the conversation with Terry, my last guest we were talking about being kids and about how, you know, like you imagine, I would imagine it might be similar in New Zealand. Like you're on a schoolyard or playground or whatever. And with boys, it's like not, you're not bullying each other, but it's kind of like everyone's pushing the boundaries the whole time. To see, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like a hierarchy almost. Yeah. Right. And so did you have that any, any women in your life who had that kind of influence? Um, not really. I had an older sister, um, younger brother and, uh, that dynamic, you've always there's always two against one, so you're always sort of trying to manipulate the other one to. If you're getting picked on, <laughs> you're trying to swing one of them to jump on your team and then pick on the other one. So, I'm not sure if that played a part of it, but I'm not even sure. I don't even think I'm that good at conversation. I think probably one of my strengths as a podcast would probably be um, my listening. I, I feel like I can just sit there and and listen and. That's all a lot of guys need is um, someone to just be really engaged in listening to their story and um, obviously asking follow-up questions, but um, not so much of the conversation for me. I think it's more around uh, the ability to listen to their story and um, genuinely care. Okay, that's really interesting. So what would you say like for someone – like? Um I manage a, a gentleman at work, and he, he actually asked me recently about – how he could develop his listening skills. So what would you say to someone on that front? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I actually don't know how. <laughs> it seems really simple, doesn't it? You just, yeah. <laughs> just, just listen and <laughs> sit there, look, um, nod or whatever. But I just, I just think it's um, being engaged into what they're saying. Like I'm, I'm not a good listener if I'm not um, interested in the topic, you know, like I – at school, like there'd be subjects where, geez, I couldn't tell you what the teacher was saying half the time. But when you actually sit down and I'm interested in some of these guys' stories, like I said, I find them all really interesting 
how they got through to where they became, uh, how they got to where they got to, and um, the struggles they went. I'm always really interested in it, so I guess that probably a big part of it being um, genuinely interested in what they're talking about, and then um, yeah, just opening the ears and listening. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 not complicated, I guess, if you focus. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think on that one mistake, like I've been on a few podcasts, especially in person, where you know the the person who's hosting is so worried about the next question or constantly checking their yeah. their notes that they're not actually listening, they're not giving you the eye contact, and it makes it really hard to um, keep speaking to them about the thing when you know they're not actually really yeah. listening to what you're saying. So, and then the follow up <laughs> question isn't there. So. Not like you, like I can tell you, you're listening really in- intensely here, which sure, is really sure, good. Sure. But there's a lot of podcasts <laughs> I've been on before where guys are like constantly looking or like not even um, engaged in yeah. at all what you're saying. And then the follow up question is just quite generic. So I think um, that's a big part of it as a podcast to be able to, to listen and um, probably an underrated one. People always talk about the questions, but I think listening's probably as important, if not more important. Yeah, well said. It, I think in the beginning for me, like getting the reps in, like you were saying, consistency was really important to get over those nerves, you know, like not looking at the clock, not worrying like, how does the other person, are they having fun? Yeah. Like, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's ultimately, I think like you were saying, it, it comes to enjoyment and the why we do anything, why we have any hobbies. It's because we enjoy it and we want to share it with other people. Mm. But back back at the beginning, you know, I ran through your career that I saw a stint in Italy as well. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, I had a six month stint in Italy. Missed out on a nice. super rugby team in New Zealand. I was still quite young, and um, yeah, opportunity came over there, which was unreal for me at the time because I was still living at home, hadn't really, um, yeah, been anywhere, and just an opportunity to go over to Italy and. You know, live a life. Took my wife, or girlfriend at the time, now wife. Um, we hadn't been together for very long, and it was a real um, grow up fast experience um, over there. Where you're in a country where you can't speak to anyone, you don't know what you're buying at the supermarket. You're living in a house for the first time together, and that uh, was a real, oh real um, eye opener for us. What uh, What age was that at? I would have been twenty. Or twenty one oh around God, that, yeah. <laughs> and how how did that conversation go with your wife? Like, was she down or was she a little bit hesitant? How did it go with the parents? You know, she was down. Um, she, I just said, I've got an opportunity to go to um, Italy to, you know, pursue this rugby thing, and um, do you want to come? And yeah, she was keen as, and I'd had a few warnings like you should probably try and pack her bags a few times, and like it's it's pretty hard over there, but. Now she was a trooper, and I knew that once we'd got through that trip, um, it was probably she was probably going to be the one. So um, that's nice. all. That's still the case, and yeah, no, happily married now. Wonderful, man. And and how about the like the process of being a pro? Is that something that you was it a pipe dream? Were you confident? Like, no, I can actually go pro. Did you even want to go pro? You know, how did that all come about? Yeah, so I I always loved rugby as a kid. Like I was super um, passionate about it. I loved watching it. I all my school books were just full of like rugby teams and stuff. But I wasn't actually that good, so it was always my dream to be a rugby player. But um, realistically, it wa- it wasn't really a um, real goal because I just knew how far away I was. I wasn't making the rec teams. I was in a small town, kind of Nelson, um, where it's not a known rugby sort of town, and you compare yourself. Like I wasn't even making the Nelson rec team, so then when you think about all the Auckland and Wellington Christchurch players, you just know how far you've got to go. And then um, just sort of missed out on a team one year and um, sort of thought about, man, I wanted to really make the first 15 at my school, so um, that was my real goal, and... Um, I thought if I made the first fifteen, I could potentially make a, you know, career out of potentially moving around, um, playing overseas. You know, the type of gigs where you work, and that's sort of the limit I thought I was going to get to um, if I played for the first fifteen. So, uh, 
I got a um, gym membership for my birthday and Christmas present from my parents that year and nice. went hard at the gym because I was always small and skinny and weak and um, I thought that was the biggest probably thing I needed to work on if I wanted to start making these teams and um, went pretty hard uh, all by myself and just, um, yeah, I noticed the more things I started to sacrifice, the more things started to happen and I started making the teams. I made the first 15 I was captain the following year and then straight out of school made New Zealand under-19 under trials and uh, missed out on that, but it was all these footsteps in the right direction before I eventually, a year out of school, I made my debut for the Tasman Marco, which was a local side that had just been formed and gave me a pathway um, from Nelson. And, yeah, it just all sort of happened from there. That's awesome, man. And... What was it like in the environment at the U19s? Because you, from what you said, maybe in, in your thinking, your head, like all these guys from the bigger towns and cities, they rip, you know, like they're so sick. I know them. Mm. Did you, did you, were you able to express yourself and play confidently or was that environment, you know, a, a big step up? Oh, it was a massive step up for me, like mentally. Like you say, like some of these guys were already playing in the – local national competition at like 18 and um, here's me who a couple of years earlier couldn't even make the school rep team and I, I definitely didn't feel comfortable in the environment. I didn't have the confidence in my game or game understanding. We weren't a rugby school so my um, I hadn't played any like shapes or all these things the guys were talking about so I felt really uncomfortable especially as a first five um, or number 10 trying to like tell calls and tell these uh, more experienced players um, what to do. So I definitely didn't feel comfortable and hence why I wasn't picked. I, I wasn't ready then. and um, But it was a massive confidence booster sort of leaving that, knowing that I wasn't far away from being one of the best in my position in New Zealand for my age. And it sort of gave me... That's sick. You know, yeah, 100% to... to keep cracking on and I'm not too far off and um, yeah just keep working hard and things will happen and then how did it happen I guess for the for the uninitiated who don't obsess over rugby like the five of us in the world who do <laughs> <laughs> in New Zealand there's two big islands and there's five professional franchises right fully professional like yep. at the Super Rugby level? Yeah, five Super Rugby teams, about 14 MPC teams. Um, so you go from the MPC generally to the Super Rugby and then the All Blacks are picked from Super Rugby pretty much. Okay. And then you you made your breakthrough to the Hurricanes. What were the circumstances of that? And then were you mentally more prepared for that to like grab that opportunity? It seems like you did because you went on to make – you know, over 50 caps for them. Yeah, so I'd been chipping away so, for sort of four years uh, with MPC, with Tasman. Hadn't quite cracked super. Like Crusaders, three years in a row, said I was sort of that next cab off the rank and younger guys just kept overtaking me. So I definitely felt like I was ready. Um, I felt like I, I was ready to try and prove myself at that level. I was actually with the New Zealand Sevens um, before that, and I got offered a wider contract with the Hurricanes or um, the Sevens. So um, I did a couple of tournaments with the Sevens and then they couldn't promise me a full season contract. So I had to opt out and go take the Hurricanes wider squad. But um, going into that environment was still a whole new level because you're, you're rocking up with um, all black legends there. Um, it's not just high school um, kids. You're, you're actually you're Conrad Smiths and... <laughs> all these legends that you've watched on TV since you were young and now next to you on the beep test or um, yo-yo test ready to um, to a session with. And it's, it's pretty, like, buzzy um, from as soon as you get in there. But I, I always felt like I was keen as to have a crack at, at Super Rugby. And, um, yeah, once I got my opportunity, I, I probably didn't take it because I was dropped the next week and – sort of felt like I'd missed an opportunity, but uh, maybe five or six weeks later I got another one and then I think the second time I um, was a 
lot better prepared for what was about to come and ended up, um, yeah, being in the squad for a lot more regularly from there. It's amazing, dude. That's that's it's it's inspirational because there's whatever in someone is listening, whatever in their lives they feel like they can't get to, whether it's a professional accomplishment, whether it's sports, you know, a young person listening who's training for like their high school sports, but you know, it's kind of it's really cool. Like you st- you persisted and thrived, and now I mean you've made a full career now, even as a professional coach at this team that is a legendary rugby team that how does that feel yeah it is pretty crazy when you when you talk about it like that but I I do think it's um it's very common in the episodes that I have around when guys actually genuinely give it a real crack like there's people who try and be a professional rugby player but then there's the one as soon as they like fully commit to it whatever they're doing they're like all in on becoming professional rugby players things start to happen a lot quicker and I felt like that was a little bit like me like I was keen to be one but I'd never actually made a plan around how I was going to get there but once I'd done that um, it all started to happen and I think anyone out there like there's always going to be people who tell you you can't I was told I was too small I'd never never be able to crack it so many times and there's so many or basically every small all black or professional rugby player has would have been told that at some point in their career but um, yeah, just backing yourself and making a really good plan and um, yeah, committing to it. I think you can get a lot of success out of um, whatever you do. It doesn't have to be rugby. It could be um, any form of work, but committing to what you want to do. And um, yeah, if you love it and it doesn't seem like work, it becomes a lot easier to, to get there as well. Where does, you know, in that path to... <clears throat> kind of elite professionalism like things like diet you know alcohol what's the norm around the drinking for for these guys at the top end is it because i mean i think the consensus is clearly out that there's no there's no useful amount of alcohol to drink right Mm -hmm. like it's (laughs) physiologically it's never gonna help you so is, is there a balance or is it in season these athletes are really you know kind of um What's the word? Uh, straight edge, almost. Yeah, it's a it's a interesting one because obviously rugby has always been a very heavy drinking culture. It's always been a part of the game. Um, go when I speak to the older athletes, how different it was, how much they would drink, and how often they would be yeah. drinking pre, post, any any time throughout the week. Um, there was a lot of um, alcohol consumed. It's obviously a lot different now, but. I still think there's a time and a place for it. Um, I do think there is. You get the advantage of guys connecting on a deeper level over a over a beer, and um, I think one thing that stands out for a lot of guys when you talk to them, reflecting on their career, some of the best moments were just like in the sheds after a game. You know, you've you've literally almost gone to war on the field, and um, you've put your body through absolute hell, and then to just sit there in the sheds have a beer with your mate and just um, sort of savour the win or loss or whatever it is and put some music on and just connect. I think there's still a place for that. It doesn't have to be alcohol, but obviously guys still will drink alcohol um, just because they feel like they can connect better off over it. But, um, yeah, it is an interesting one because, like you say, it doesn't do any help for your your body – um, but I do think you can still use it to connect on deeper levels. And, um, yeah, at the moment it would only be long turnarounds. Guys would um, – if, if, if it was a short turnaround, maybe like a Saturday to a Friday game, they'd generally say no alcohol or maybe one or two in the sheds. But if you've got a long turnaround, they seem to be a little bit more lenient. So, And there's all those sort of things in place at the moment. But it's, it's still an interesting topic, one we still talk about quite regularly with our – um, S&C guys and physios, et cetera, and try and make sure that we're not compromising performance from it, but we're also not um, taking all the social aspect out of rugby, which is why the guys play it, why they love it, um, taking all that out of it as well and making it just pure work, you know.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Bro Nouveau Podcast. Please leave the show a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. To enjoy full-length video episodes, head over to YouTube. You can search Bro Nouveau or simply follow the link in the episode description below. If you or someone you know would make a fascinating guest for this kind of conversation, you can reach me via email. That address is contact at bronouveau.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of the show. Mm. Yeah. You described that, you know, brilliantly, the feeling of after a game win or lose it's just it really is such a special you know like the amount of fun that i feel like a group of people can have after playing a rug it's it's weird yeah. I, I i can't describe it but it's insane and and i recently stopped playing for injury reasons you know mm. that's actually something i'll ask about next but yeah i'm i'm chasing that kind of high a little bit you know like i'm doing CrossFit and like trying to, maybe I'll try water polo, you know, I'm looking for it. Cause there's nothing like, there's nothing, um, to replace it that that I've been able to find, frankly. Oh, it's such, it's such a hard game to replace. You're right. Cause literally guys are putting their body on the line with you or in front of you or for you. And, um, (laughs) the respect you get for them is like, you can't really replace that when someone's, um, you know, you got a massive guy running, and then someone comes out the side and smashes him before he gets to you, and you're just like so grateful for this guy to put his body on the line for you. And then in the sheds afterwards, you've just got that respect. And um, yeah, it's a pretty cool sport. Super cool. For for me, the reason that I have paused playing, you know, week in week out tackle is the worry about concussions, you know, reading about dementia and Alzheimer's and these things terrifies me. Mm. And, you know, I think it's talking about, or, you know, thinking about conversations that live in the dark a little bit among my rugby teams. I feel like that's one that lives in the dark is not really talking about. Yeah. Like when we get hit in the head, that's not good. You know, is that how, how did you grapple? Did you ever think about that when you were playing, or did you kind of just roll with it and you know get out when you got out? Oh, it was definitely something different towards the back end of my career, which I started thinking about a lot more. Um, obviously, younger, the education around it wasn't great, and I had a, a fair amount of head knocks, but nothing significant to keep me out for longer than. I think the longest time I was out was maybe four weeks. Um, but even that, like that coming back from a head knock is really hard because you're, you're in your head, you're trying to think, what well, like what is normal? Um, am I usually dizzy after I do a 30-minute watt bike? Like you just, right. you're sort of unsure whether you're good or not. And often when you're not, when you're still thinking like that, you're not, right? So, um, and I remember going to see. What, the concussion movie with um, was it Will Smith <laughs> before a game, <laughs> which was probably one of the worst decisions of my career because it really gets you thinking and um, some of the realities of the sport. I know American football slightly different, but um, you're still taking a fair amount of bangs to the head. And I think the worst thing for me was the training, like um, the contact trainings. I especially towards the back end of my career, I'd avoid those like anything, um, even holding a pad because I feel like the brain mm. going against the skull is like yeah. some of the worst concussions that you get. Um, doesn't always have to be um, a really bad knock, but just holding the pad for someone who's smashing it and you're getting that instant whiplash, those were the things I'd really start to avoid. But it was definitely something that was on my mind. And I remember over at London Irish playing over there, I had I was getting headaches from a game and I thought it was concussion and all the physios and things were suggesting it was something to do with my neck, so my brain was actually all right. But it never, I never felt comfortable out there, so I wasn't playing. I definitely wasn't playing tough. I was um, 
you know, subconsciously avoiding contact, even though I didn't feel like I was going out there. But, you know, I'd watch the game afterwards and I'd avoid collisions um, just because I didn't feel comfortable around my head. And then I remember the coach hitting me up uh, maybe three weeks into it, just saying, like, yeah, we need you to be, we need more from you on defense or we need you to be more aggressive here. And I just told him about my head and um, that I just, even though I've been cleared of concussion, I just didn't really sit comfortable with me because I, I wasn't sure if I trusted that information or not or just I wasn't willing to put my, you know, risk my brain for a game. Um, so it was an interesting conversation, one that I always remember when that concussion was sort of really starting to grow and that awareness was growing. Was there any resolution in that in that conversation? Um, I, I think I was rested for a couple of weeks, or not rested, I was definitely dropped for a couple of weeks um, <laughs> to, <laughs> to make sure that my head was, um, and then I made sure that yeah. I, the headaches were gone, um, and then once yeah. I got back out there, I, I felt a lot more comfortable and was willing to get back into it. But um, yeah, in hindsight, I would have probably tried to do that from the start. And um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. That I would imagine that's a lesson or like an experience that will inform your coaching, how you approach players. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd, I'd never try and push someone to play, and like, no matter how big the game is concussion or getting them off for an HIA is always number one for me. Like I've been in teams coaching and um, you'll see some guys stumble. I've I've seen one guy, you know, go off to the um, HIA. He's passed it. He's coming back out to go on. But I, I could see in his eyes he wasn't right. Um, mm-hmm. I went and told the doctor, mate, you can't put him back on. I don't care if he's passed the – um, HIA is not right and anyway took him away for another chat and um, the player ended up saying that he was feeling pretty shit so like things like that I'd, I'm always no, I don't care how good the player is like it's that mental that brain always comes first and um, there's something that will never change for me like I'd rather lose a game than um, lose, lose a player's um, you know mind totally and it's you know, it's it's uh, in psychology with you know, teachers and psychologists in the U.S. There's this phrase, mandated reporter, which is where if someone's going to essentially hurt themselves or others, they have the teacher or the therapist has to report it. Mm. And I, I feel like that situation you're describing is similar because as rugby players in that heat of the moment, I, I, I can't speak for you, but for me, I would – I'm not logical. Like, if it's the heat of the game, I don't care if I'm bleeding from six places. Like, I want to go play, and I'm not in the right mind. It's almost like being drunk. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, but I I think that responsibility comes down to teammates, all the coaching staff. Mm -hmm. Like, if you know that someone's not right, tell them. Like, I probably I made the mistake once in my career where a guy asked me, told me he couldn't remember some of our calls, and – I still look back at that and think, man, I, I should have definitely told our physio that he wasn't right. Um, but that was one that I didn't. And every moment that I had that um, situation, I'd always told them. So um, I know sometimes in the heat of the moment, you're, you're thinking so much about the game. If he's your star player, you're like, oh, man, we're definitely going to lose this if he goes off. Like, I can't be the one who costs us the game by dobbing him in. He might not even... He might be sweet. He might pass his HIA. All these things, but I think if you have any doubt, report it, and um, yeah, just be really clear around that that the head is more important than the game. Mm-hmm. And then, how was your transition replacing? You know, we talked about the the brotherhood, the fun highs, lows. How, how is it going for you replacing that the part of your identity? Yeah, I think I've been really lucky in the fact that coaching is very similar to rugby. So I still feel like I'm in, or well, I am still sort of in the in the group. I I go to work every day and see all the boys. I still feel like I'm a player a lot of the time, walking down the gym and um, connecting with everyone. Um, you still got the week schedule. You're still turning up to a game hoping to win. You're not putting your body on the line and. 
I don't miss that either, but um, you, your workload's a little bit higher because you're watching a, a fair bit more um, video and doing a bit more analysis. But, um, yeah, in terms of the replacement, I feel like I'm really lucky in that sense and also the podcast as well. I, I still feel like I can connect to a lot of players and can still, you know, feel um, in the game, which is, which is really cool. Yeah, it's super cool. And outside of the, you know, you, meant, you mentioned outside of the rugby, you mentioned you've been with your partner for many years, married. Um, do you have a family as well? Yeah, I've got three kids. Oh, sick. Yeah. <laughs> three boys, seven, five, and two. So, um, oh my gosh. we're right on. For sure. So, so, as far as what you've learned about yourself and lessons learned for other men listening about, you know, I guess we'll start with the relationship piece because not everyone ends up in a long-term relationship, but a lot of people do, you know, you're a few years ahead of the, of the track for me and maybe a few of my audience. So do you have any reflections or lessons learned about sustaining and, you know, nurturing that long-term relationship? Um, it's a good question. Cause it is hard. Like there's a lot of, especially in the rugby scene. Like we we've had to move so many times, which has never been easy for my wife. Um, I think we've moved like over twenty times. We've lived in you know twenty different places and came harder and harder with kids. And it was something I sort of promised that I wouldn't do post my playing career. And here I am down in Christchurch. We've moved one more time. Um, hopefully <laughs> this is it, and I'm down with the Crusaders for life. But um, it. It's the it's part of the journey, but it's the things that no one sees is, um, you know, that instability. It's been hard for her to ever find a job or find a passion. So obviously she's had to sacrifice a lot for me to be able to do what I've been able to do and, um, you know, super grateful for that. But I think probably the key is just growing together and I think that's where a lot of people um, end up going separate ways is because they're not willing to grow together, like, there's no way I'm the same person I was when I met my wife at 19 or 20. Um, she's not the same either. So being able to grow throughout the journey, enjoy the ride, and um, be in it, commit to it, and um, yeah, just just be a really good person. Treat, I guess, what's the saying? Treat someone how you'd like your daughter to be treated, or treat your wife how you'd like your daughter to be treated, or something like that. So um, yeah, just be a good person. Nice. Yeah, that's a that's a great one. And then as far as you know, how how did you develop that attitude? You know, obviously with listening, like active listening, you have a lot of empathy. You know, you care, you love to connect to people and hear their stories and you you genuinely quit care and have that empathy. You have that mindset of be a good person. Did you have role models in your life that modeled that for you or how did you end up with that attitude? Oh, I've got no idea to be honest. My, my wife asked me this the other day, and I, I I literally don't know. I don't know where it was um, taught. I'm guessing my parents must have played a big part of it. My my siblings, um, role models who I've had throughout my career who have always changed. But um, I don't know. I, I genuinely have no idea. But um, I think just being open to learning from different people and. Um, seeing the good parts of people and maybe potentially trying to take some of that into your life. And um, you sort of learn that along the way that um, if you're a good person, good things seem to happen to you. And, um, yeah, the, the, the evil people always seem to get found out. Well, not always, but more often than yeah. not. 100%. I, I believe it always comes out, man. Any, yeah. Any bullshit, it always comes out. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. All right, well, let's wrap it up with a little bit of uh, Rugby World Cup chat. So you're all blacks, pipped Ireland, my Irish team. So I'm American, so our team is useless. I'm sorry <laughs> to my fellow Americans who play on the Eagles, but, um, you know, I won't say useless. I'll take that back. That was mean. They're just – we're not very good. Um, <laughs> so I support Ireland, but – what what are your thoughts, man? Um, rest of the tournament, semifinals coming up. What's your what do you think is going to happen? Oh, I th I think the semifinals are pretty predictable. To be fair, I think the lopsided pools have made it 
a unique World Cup. Um, those that round of quarterfinals was incredible. I don't think you'll ever see better quarterfinal games. All four of them. Um, just the way that that draw panned out, like that was four incredibly close, even um, uh, edgiest seat. Like that was such a good weekend of rugby. I, I was, it was amazing. I was loving it. Um, and I, th- I think the All Blacks will be Argentina relatively comfortable, and I, I also think South Africa will beat up England and beat them pretty comfortably as well. And um, All Black South Africa final, they're obviously quite familiar foes, and um, that could go either way. To be fair, like phys- uh, South Africa are physically brutal, and if the All Blacks can match them there, I think they'll be all right. But that's a big if because, geez, that they are just. Um, yeah, such a brutal pack. I think if Scott Barrett can stay in the field, he'll get them parity or closer to parity because mm. he has that like mongrel, you know, type of energy. Yeah, that the South Africans have too. Um, and I guess more more of a technical one. So for the non rugby listeners, there's the All Blacks right now have this kind of like the older guys are a lot of them are super accomplished, but I feel like a lot of that generation, they haven't necessarily like, they haven't won a world cup on their own. Right. Like in 19, they, they couldn't get it done. And the, the fullback who's like the free safety in NFL. So Bowden Barrett, right. He, a lot of people like, because he's been so good for so long, it's easy to say like, Oh, he's not as good as he used to be. Mm. Right. But to you and your technical eye, like, how do you think he's playing? Is it fair to say that he hasn't on the same form as he was previously, or is he just in a different role now that it's maybe a little less flashy than we're used to seeing him play? Yeah, well, I think he played really well in the weekend. Obviously, Sam Kane is another one who's been under a lot of pressure, especially here in New Zealand, around their spot on the side. Both of them, I thought, were outstanding in the weekend. I think the thing with Bodie is that um, he, he he does so much of the stuff now that um, isn't seen. So obviously the fans probably don't quite appreciate some of the work that he's doing and a lot of that will be around his communication, um, his shot calling, his uh, decision-making and um, obviously he's been a big part of their kicking game um, and that hasn't always been right but I don't think that's been his fault. A lot of that's been... Um, the kicking plan that they've gone into a game with. So um, he's still got all the skills that he's always had. He's still fast. And, um, yeah, I, th- I think he still deserves a spot there. I, I know a lot of pressure is coming for, to get Will Jordan um, at fullback. But I think a lot of teams have done, and to be fair, it's probably worked, is have picked probably their most experienced lineups. So I know South Africa had their most experienced side for for probably ever in the World Cup, and that got them across the line against the French. All Blacks have, a, have picked a very experienced side, and um, even England, to an extent, have named a more experienced side than a lot of teams. So definitely helps. Um, these guys have been in those moments. They know what's coming. They know the pressure, um, and they know how to handle it because that's such a hard thing to be able to – you can't prepare for a World Cup final if you haven't been in one or have never played a World Cup Mm. game because you just don't know what's involved so these guys who have been in it um, they understand it and hopefully they've learnt from the last one 2019 and going from the game in the weekend it looked like they had Yeah I mean they they were fairly I think kind of like just barely underdogs right to Ireland or no one would have been surprised if they lost to Ireland because of their recent history, but it does seem like their mental preparedness played out in in that some way, you know. And yeah, yeah, Ireland were definitely favourites, and like I was, I thought Ireland would win. Um, even like pretty much right up to the end, I was hopeful that the All Blacks would be able to hang on, but I just thought the Irish attack was just um, would put us under so much pressure, and it did for moments, but probably not as much as I thought they would. Felt like they'll be looking back and felt like they missed a few opportunities um, to get us on edges. But, um, yeah, the All Blacks, D, especially in that last bit, 36 phases, most ever in a a Rugby World Cup game, is pretty incredible for a game to finish that way. And 
um, yeah, some huge moments in that game. But awesome for rugby to have games like that on the big stage with so many people watching and hopefully it brings more people to the sport. Definitely, definitely. And what time are the games there? Uh, is, is like middle of the night type of situation for you guys? Or Now we've got an 8 a.m. morning. Well, okay. So that those quarterfinals were either 4 a.m. or 8 a.m. Um, so the, okay. the big ones are all perfect time, 8 a.m. in the morning, nice. get up and have breakfast and watch some World Cup quality footy. But um, what's it over there? It must be an awkward time, is it? No, it's pretty good. So I'm, I'm in California, so it's, yeah, similar actually. It's 8 a.m. or noon. Oh, yeah. Oh, so. sweet. <laughs> Dream, it's crazy, it? dude. It's, it's crazy. We're, you guys are almost a full 24 hours ahead of us. Yeah. It's kind of wild. <laughs> it is crazy. How's the, how's the future, James? <laughs> <laughs> Look out. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for, for your time and uh, for the great conversation, sharing your, your hard-earned wisdoms and where can my audience go and listen to to your podcast, Water Lad? Yeah, so Water Lad's on any um, platform that you listen to your podcast. Probably just type in Water Lad and it should pop up, or or YouTube. That's that's one I'm trying to grow at the moment. It's hard to grow your YouTube, but that's yeah. um, definitely something I'm sure. looking to do at the moment. And, and so, if you do prefer watching, head over to there. Type in Water Lad, and um, hopefully you enjoy it.